0: Good to see you this morning, church. We're going to continue in our series in Philippians, Be Encouraged. The title of this morning's sermon is Work It Out. We're going to find ourselves in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to be in verse 12 to 18. I'm reading out of the CSB. If you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, we're in Philippians 2, and we're going to start reading from verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. By holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all, in the, with all of you, in the same way you should also be glad. And rejoice with me. Father, we thank you that we can rejoice in every situation. We thank you, Father, that your word here tells us that you are the one who are working in us. That you are the one who gives us the will to satisfy your purposes, Lord. We are your vessels, Lord. We are your workmanship. We are your children, Lord. And we need our daily bread. So would you feed us this day, Lord? Would you have us leave this place knowing you more, being encouraged in who we are in you and all that you're doing, walking with a confidence that you are God, you are sovereign, you are good, like we just sung. We present ourselves to you and say, have your way in each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of the um, things that I struggle with is working out. I have um, worked out my whole life since I was about 12. um, The oldest of six boys growing up, kind of rough area. My um, motivation for working out was not getting beat up so (laughs) I've worked out pretty much my whole life but I have long stints of time when I'm just not motivated to work out and and I don't work out and and when I don't work out things in my body kind of hurts and and as you get older uh, those things uh, happen more and more and uh now it's about just being able to move around. I feel like when I wake up in the morning, sometimes I'm like an old car, and until it gets warmed up, I can't really get going. So, working out I mean, is one of those things that no one can do for you. Like, you have to do it. Your body was given to you by God, uh, He's the one who animated. Your body. He he breathed into Adam the breath of life, and, and Adam became a, a living being. So us having our bodies have nothing to do with us. God has given it to us. What, what we do with our bodies does have something to do with us. So when I go down in my basement, I have weights, I have a treadmill. I have a row machine, and you can kind of tell if I'm in a season of working out or not because when you're not working out, like things get hung on the treadmill, dust starts to settle in, and I am the one who's responsible if I'm going to actually put in the work. Uh, I can have all the equipment, but if I choose not to utilize that equipment, that's on me. Sometimes I, I think and wish, hey, I wish I could watch someone else work out and I lose weight and build muscle. But it doesn't work that way. I think sometimes we think in our Christian life, just like going to the gym, And looking at the equipment, looking at other people work out is going to keep us in shape. Uh, Us going to to church and, and not really participating, not staying in our word, not staying in prayer, that it's going to benefit us just being in proximity. There may be some benefit to that but it can take you, but so far. Our text this morning says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Obedience is part of our response because we love God. Our obedience comes from our love of God. Our obedience also comes from our ability to see. There was a time we had scales on our eyes. And God has removed those scales. So now we can see who God is. Although not completely yet, but we know God. We have a relationship with God. We're experiencing what it is to walk with God. And the more we walk with God and see him clearer and clearer, we fall more in love with him. And and our response to that is obedience. So on the other hand, disobedience is due to a lack of relationship with God. Not not knowing him, not trusting him, not loving him, being blind. So uh, that is why so often I say to people, don't expect from the loss what they cannot produce. They're blind, they're lost, they can't see. They're slaves to sin. We we were once slaves to sin, but no more. Now we're slaves to righteousness. They are slaves to sin, and the only thing that they can do is obey their master. This text tells us to work out our salvation what what, is, what does that mean it means um, to complete it God has begun the work and and God will carry the work out to the end christ's work of atonement is is finished so so for us we work from the cross, and we carry out the great work of sanctification by the help of the Holy Spirit. But, but we are participants in it. And, and the text here says, your own. It is each man's own work. No friend, no pastor, not even an apostle can work it for him my wife can't do push-ups and I get strong you have to do your own work so there is an equipping that God gives us but there is an obligation on our part to work out our salvation it says, work it out with fear and trembling. In other words, there needs to be sober-mindedness about how important this is. We cannot be flippant about our salvation. We, we have to have a, a, a deep eagerness to obey the things of God. Because we have to remember the tremendous sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf and the tenderness in which he loves us and the importance of the present salvation from sin that we are no longer slaves to sin. And we don't want to fall back into these bondages again. And then we have to think about what it means in our future salvation from death. Death is defeated. So we hear these things, and, and, and we read these things, and we agree with these things. The question becomes, well, like, how do I practice these things? last week we we read uh, that we are to adopt the same attitude as christ and 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 we were talking about humility wouldn't it be pretentious for us to think about humility and say, adopt the same attitude or do what he has done it 's like that in itself seems to be arrogant but but that's not so because Uh, it is arrogant when we think we can produce those things on our own. It it is not by imitation, but by incarnation. Galatians 2.20 says, Christ lives in me. So, So in other words, yes, Jesus is the model for us to see, but we cannot imitate Christ outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. The the reason we can walk these things out is because Christ lives in me. The, The Christian life, it has been said, is not a series of ups and downs, rather a process of ins and outs. God works in us and we work out. So so as God is doing a work in our heart, it will start to show. So, So he's doing something on the inside, and what needs to happen is those things will be manifested by the things we say, the things we do, and the call he has on our lives. If you just think about the different people in the Bible. If we think about Paul, after Paul's conversion, he went away for a season. And and God did a work in his heart. And then he started that work. We think about Moses. He was on the backside of the desert for 40 years as a shepherd. God was preparing him. When we think of Joseph who went through uh, slavery and and went through the dungeon experience, when when he came out on the other side, he was fit for God's work. God is working things in us, and then we work it out. That's why the Bible even speaks about um, someone being too young being a leader, Um, in the church because God is still molding and working in each and every one of us, myself included, Pastor Angelo, all of us. He's still doing a work in us, and he will be to the day we leave here. But what happens is going through this process that God is allowing you to go through does something in you, and then it starts to come out of you. So when, when it says here to um, work out your salvation, um, this is speaking that we must cultivate the submissive mind by responding to the divine provisions God makes available to us. In, in other words, it's in us. We acknowledge when the Holy Spirit is pricking something hey, you shouldn't have said that, or do this. There comes a point as we continue to mature that our submissiveness to the will of God, our response to him, being able to identify that was from God, and I'm going to move on it, that, that grows over time. See, because often when the Holy Spirit calls us to do something, it's going to be outside of your comfort zone. So, So a lot of times what happens is that level of trust, that level of faith has to be something that God has done in you for you to be able to respond. I remember shortly after I first got saved, and I was living in, in New York and would uh, travel on a train to go to work. And, and more than one occasion, I'm sitting on the ter- train, and God just so impressed in my spirit get up and start preaching. Come on, God. I see nuts get up and start preaching. I'm a Christian. I'm hard pressed to say amen when they do that. Get up and start preaching. That happened to me a couple of times. And I didn't do it. And you know when it would really kick in? The minute I stepped off at my stop and the doors closed and the opportunity them passed. Oh. That's because there was still something God was building in me to trust them, to, to put myself out there, to, to, to say I don't care what anyone thinks, right? Because I'm like, mm, some people on this train may know me. And what happens if, And my lack of consistency of what I do later doesn't add up with me preaching on the train this day. Or I just look like one of those nuts getting up, walking with a sign. And there is nothing wrong with that. That was in my mind at that time. I'm sure God uses things like that. God is working in us so we could work out. Here, this is speaking of a work to full completion. Let let me give you an example of what that looks like. If you had to work a field, God gave you a plot of land, and your neighbor could have that same plot of land. God gave it to you. Identical acreage. Working out would look like plowing your field. It it would look like pulling weeds. It it, it would look like um, using fertilizer. You have to put in some of that work. And you would receive a great harvest. You can't produce the sun. You you didn't bring the dirt there. You didn't determine when it was going to rain, but you were part of the process. Meanwhile, your neighbor having the same plot of land, it rained on his side when it rained on yours. The sun shined on his side when it was shining on yours, but he didn't put in that level of work. He, He might get some vegetables out of it but it's not going to be a bumper crop it's it's not going to be what you've um, received because you put in the work so what about your Christian life there is a responsibility on our part and what God has called us to do Being in our word, being in prayer, praising the Lord, spending time with Him. We have the same Holy Spirit. Just like um, that treadmill at home that you got your jacket thrown on, are you opening up your Bible? We have the same Bible. We, we have the same 24 hours in a day, so we can have the same field and reap very different harvests. The text goes on to say, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good purposes the will to do for god does not come from the flesh it can't it's 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 adverse to the flesh it comes from the spirit so it is god who puts in us to will And it's not in our own strength that we can produce anything that has eternal value. So even to do, and it be anything that's going to produce something that lasts, comes from God. Here it says, to work according to his good purposes. As we fall in love with God, what we realize is, God, all I want is what you want. So so his good purposes are not going to be for the Christian something that I don't want to see come to pass. It's, It's the exact opposite. It says here, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Doing things with the wrong motive steals its value and its reward, right? We've done things begrudgingly, like, I'm just going to do it. It's been said that the slave may murmur, but what son will murmur who, while working for his father, works also for himself? Did you catch that? The the slave complains. So Sometimes when we go to work and we got to do something, even if we like our job, there's certain details on our job that we don't like to do. Or or the way someone came across to us that day and telling us to do something, we didn't like it and we're walking away murmuring and complaining. So as we're Working out our salvation as God is working in us both to willing to do everything we do, it must not be with grumbling and arguing, with complaining. Because while we're working for our Father, we're working for ourselves. We're part of His kingdom, we're working for the kingdom. It says, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. That term blameless and pure literally means unmixed. It it, it means unmixed, that, that, that you're not in the world and engaged in all of these things and then also having one foot in the church. Pure means only this, not a mixture of anything. And this crooked and perverted generation, This past week, some of you might have saw the news or even watched the Grammys, and there was straight-up devil worship going on. In the world, the Christian, for the most part, was silent. There's always a trajectory. It starts with doubting God. It moves to everything in life is about self. And it ends up being worshiping even the devil. I remember hearing this comedian one time, and he's like, you know, I'm not the most religious guy but I think it would really be pushing the limits to worship the devil. But if you, if you really think about it, Eve was questioned by, the Satan, by Satan, did God really say? And, and it went from that to Jesus being in the wilderness and the devil saying to him, worship me and I'll give you this whole world. It, it, it moves from one place to another. We have to, we have to pray for this world and where our influence is. We have to speak words of life. The Bible tells us, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You've even watched things where people say, I, I sold my soul to the devil for whatever this thing that they desired was when you when you when you watch something like that what you realize is what does light and dark have in common nothing like we have to stay pure and blameless in this crooked and perverted generation We should not watch that, comment on it, wow, I can't believe this is going on, but we're still like intaking these things, not saying anything while they are broadcasting wickedness. That that shouldn't happen. The text tells us by holding firm to the word of life. It says, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. You shining like A star, that word uh, for light there is luminaries. It's in Genesis where they speak of the sun and the moon. We are glory reflectors. We are children of the light. But this is what identifies us. By holding firm to the word of life, Paul says, then I can boast in the day of Christ, I didn't run or labor for nothing. You know, um, I don't know about you, but when I get a new phone, I mean, phones cost like you got to take out a loan on your house to get a phone these days. When I get a new phone, I make sure I don't put it on the edge of a counter that I'm holding it tight, that I buy a protective cover for it. This says, hold firm to the word of life. We don't hold things of great value loosely. The Bible is the word of life. The world has nothing to offer but the Christian Holds out the word of life, the message of salvation through that word. The Bible tells us, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, the worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So, so there is another sense where holding on to God's word firmly is being serious about God's word. Like people are listening to some crazy stuff and and they're using the name Jesus and and feeding on things that have nothing to do with the Bible whatsoever. You know, um, the the people that get you is the the real charismatic, well-speaking People that they have a great skill in using their words. And if we're attracted to that more than the word of God, more than substance, where we should be going back and, does the Bible say that? It's just a little bit of a twist. And, And often, these people have these platforms, but they aren't pastors, many of them. They have no shepherding heart or care for the people. But you're like, you know what? I listen to this guy when I come to church every Sunday, you know, our local church. I mean, he's all right, but but who's there when you need a hospital visit? Or or when your marriage in trouble? Or or when something's going wrong in your life and you're like, pastor, pray for me. You, You got to be real, real careful who you are listening to because it matters for your soul. Holding on firm to the word of life. The Bible tells us in We also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you've heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers, holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ, that I didn't run or labor for nothing. What, what, what is the day of Christ? That's what we were talking about in Bible study on Friday. It refers to the, the future fulfillment when God's wrath is going to be poured out on unbelievers. But, but at the same time of that time of judgment, it is for salvation of God for his people. Paul says, then I can boast in the day of Christ. When that day comes, he can boast about it. That I didn't run or labor for nothing. Paul's writing this letter from jail. This letter is all about joy and him encouraging the church. He's saying, this, my life. That I've poured out. It, I, I want to be able to say it mattered, that it wasn't for, for nothing whatsoever, but it was for you. That, that's what every Christian should be able to say. But the question is what are you running and laboring for? What will it produce? Will it be worth anything in the day of the Lord? Paul says, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. The Bible talks to us about the drink offering, and that's what Paul is referring to here. We know also that Jesus spilt his precious blood on the ground. He he also was pouring into us. God is pouring in to his people for us to be poured out. We're pouring our lives out for something. All of us, we're spending our days, our energies, our talents for something. What's it for? Possessions, amusement, pleasure, status. For things that have eternal value. We all got to work. Of course we do. We have families. That's good. But even in all of those places... We are representing Christ. We are stars in what he showed as a picture of a sky. Imagine no stars and moon, just black. And then God puts stars in place that even at night, it would illuminate the sky and make it beautiful. That's what he said you are, in a dark place, in a perverted and crooked generation. He's telling you, stay pure. He's telling you, I put in you to will and to do. Work it out. Be a participant. There's a place for waiting on the Lord. There's a place of stagnation as well. And sometimes we call what we are doing, waiting on the Lord and it's stagnation. We're doing nothing. But other stuff that we want to do, we, we ain't waiting on the Lord in those areas. But no, no, that stuff is still being done. But when it comes to the things he's calling me to, well, I'm waiting on them. Paul here talks about this sacrificial service. It was poured out for others. The apostles were poured out for others. Christ was poured out for others. Christian, you're to be poured out for others. And look what it says here, in the same way, You should also be glad and rejoice with me. There is a great joy for the Christian to be poured out. You can come up, worship team. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ, who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We read a couple of weeks ago in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Romans 12.1 tells us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, which means separated, acceptable to God. Imagine that we would be acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Coming to church, singing a song, reading your Bible, all of those things are good and it's a part. Of spiritual worship, but your true spiritual worship is this, living a life of sacrifice, a holy life, acceptable to God. It looks like something, and it involves others. John 12, 25 says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world, will keep it for eternal life. God's placed us in this world. He's uniquely positioned us, each one of us different. Every single thing we've gone through in life, he has used it to move you from glory to glory, to prepare you, for the things that he has for you to do. And the hardest things are the things that he really was molding and allowing in your life to make you more like Christ. How are you going to live? What are you going to do? What is life really about? As we've been reading through Philippians, just remember, as Paul was writing these things, he did not know if he was going to live or die, if he ever was going to come out of jail, but he had great joy. Don't be so bogged down by the enemy with all of these pressures and life and things that will try to steal your joy to put you in a position where you're ineffective for the glory of God. It's not what he saved you for. He saved you to have great joy, to know him, and to be about his business, to be used as his people that is separate from the rest of the world. The world needs you, Christian. We can't stay silent. I I often wonder, man, what happened in between the time I'm on that train and God is so impressing this in my heart and I'm like, I can't. But in his loving way, him bringing us along to a place where we say, God, whatever you want. We're all in that process. Would you stand with me, family, so that I can pray for you? Father, we so thank you. We thank you, we thank you because you are good, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we are your people, that we are filled with your spirit, Lord, that it is you that wills and works in And through us, God, we thank you, Lord, that is by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you will keep us separated and pure. But you also call us to have certain parameters in our lives, to to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to be sober-minded about what you've done and because of what you've done, what our proper response would be out of love, not murmuring, not grumbling, not complaining, but a deep desire to say your will be done, Lord, in my life. We pray for that person that is in this place right now hearing your words of truth you said that the truth will set you free break those bonds that has enslaved that person to sin lord have them cry out i need you god Could have been here one day or 20 years. Would you do a work in that heart, Lord? Bring them to the place of repentance and confession. I need Jesus Christ. Because of your grace, because of your long suffering, because of your mercy, Lord. Drop the scales from their eyes this day, Lord. Help them to see. Draw them, Lord. Let them cling to the cross, recognizing that we're all guilty. But because of your free gift of grace and your blood that covers sin, that they could be set free and a child of God. We thank you, Father, for your word this day, for what you're doing in all of our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would leave this place with great joy, like the end of this text says, and be so excited about being your child, about being called to your purposes, Lord, and equipped to do exactly what you've called us to do. Let us go out and do it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.